This is a special edition Daily Signal bonus episode for Friday, March 5th. 75 years ago today, Winston Churchill delivered his Iron Curtain speech in Fulton, Missouri, in which he issued a warning to the world of the struggle between communism and democratic freedom. Joseph LeConte, the director of the Heritage Foundation's Center for American Studies, and Niall Gardner, the director of Heritage's Margaret Thatcher Center for Freedom, join me on today's bonus episode to discuss the significance of Churchill's famous speech and what words of wisdom they believe Churchill would offer us today. Enjoy the show. I'm so pleased to be joined by Joseph LeConte, the director of the Heritage Foundation's Center for American Studies, and Niall Gardner, the director of Heritage's Margaret Thatcher Center for Freedom. Thank you both so much for being here. It's great to be here. Thank you. We're doing thanks so much. So March 5th marks the anniversary of Winston Churchill's famous Iron Curtain speech. You all have just co-authored a wonderful piece on the significance of this speech and why it really stands in history as a powerful defense of freedom. So Dr. LeConte, I would love to begin with you. Would you mind just setting the scene of this speech for us? What was happening at this moment in history, and why was Churchill delivering this address at Fulton College in Missouri? Kind of a random location in some ways. Yeah, uh, thank you, Virginia. And let me just say again what a great uh, pleasure it is to be with my colleague, Niall Gardner. I hope this is the first of many podcasts, uh, a a symbol of the enduring strength of the Anglo-American relationship. So let me just put that out there. Um, This is an incredibly significant speech that Churchill delivers uh, in Missouri uh, 75 years ago this week. And the reason it's so significant is that he's the first world leader to acknowledge what has really already happened, the beginning of the Cold War. Some critics of Winston Churchill, particularly from the left, like to blame him for somehow initiating the Cold War with this speech, but that's not the case at all. It's already happened. So think about the the context, the immediate context. The Allied forces, the United States, Great Britain, and the Soviet Union, they've been fighting uh, together against Nazism. That war, uh, the Second World War, comes to an end in September of 1945. So here we are now, just five months later, and Winston Churchill is warning that the next great geopolitical threat, it's not fascism, fascism has been defeated. It's Soviet communism. It's the Soviet Union, who had been the ally of Great Britain and the United States through much of the Second World War. So no, the point here, Virginia, is no one wants to hear this speech. No one wants to hear someone talking about another great uh, totalitarian threat that uh, threatens to envelop uh, all of Europe. Uh, that's why the speech is so controversial and unpopular, particularly in the United States, but also in Great Britain. And Niall can probably address that uh, question as well. Yes, Dr. Gardner, I would love for you to speak to that because, as Dr. Conte says, you know, people were hoping, as you point out in your piece, that you know this was really going to be a celebratory speech touting the successes that Great Britain and America had had in winning the war. Uh, and yet, as you all write, uh, Churchill shared a really foreboding message of the struggle between communism and the democratic West. So what was it that Churchill was seeing across the Western world and in Russia that concerned him so much that it led him to deliver really a speech of warning? Well, that's a great uh, question, uh, Virginia. And as my colleague, uh, Dr. LeConte pointed out, 
uh, Churchill's speech really uh, has gone down in history as one of the most important uh, speeches of modern times, actually. And uh, Churchill, of course, was, as always, uh, many, many uh, decades ahead of his time. He had, he had in the 1930s, of course, warned against the rise of Nazi Germany. His, uh, his warnings were unheeded, of course, across much of Europe. Uh, and in the 1940s, Churchill began to warn against the dangers posed by uh, the rise of Soviet uh, Russia and the rise of communism. And his warnings were, of course, absolutely prescient, decades ahead of his time. And Churchill uh, made it absolutely clear that the free world must prepare for another epic confrontation, this time against the forces of communism. Uh, and Churchill, of course, was accused in the 1940s, as he was accused in the 1930s of being a warmonger, of of sparking another global uh, conflict. And you had many on the left who were strongly critical of uh, Churchill's remarks uh, in Fulton, Missouri, just as they were critical of his remarks in the early 1930s when he warned against the rise of Nazi Germany. Uh, and so Churchill had to, to deal with the, with the doubters, those who said that he was simply you know, stirring up an imaginary future conflict. In reality, of course, uh, Churchill was standing up on behalf of the free world and warning against uh, another totalitarian uh, power. Uh, and Churchill really was a tremendous visionary uh, who, who really was preparing the free world for another mighty confrontation against the forces of evil. And thank God we had Churchill in 1946, warning the free world about uh, the the huge confrontation to uh, to come, because Churchill's absolutely right. He was 100% right in terms of his predictions, warning about the, the tremendous threat that Soviet communism uh, posed to the free world. And we owe a huge, immense debt of gratitude to Churchill for giving us this very timely warning back in 1946. Oh, and who were those individuals that really took note of Churchill's message of warning? You mentioned that you know a lot of Americans were kind of taken aback and, and Europeans were taken aback by this message. But who listened and what what was the impact of of leaders paying attention and saying we need to heed this warning by Churchill? Well, I'll I'll take a stab at it. Niall, you can also jump in here, friend. Um <laughs> Uh, it, this was a speech that really went around the world. Uh, I should say quickly that Joseph Stalin, the head of the Soviet Union, took took note of the speech, condemned it, uh, and compared Winston Churchill uh, to Adolf Hitler. Remember, they've just been allies in the Second World War fighting Hitler. And now you have Joseph Stalin accusing Churchill of behaving like Adolf Hitler because he's talking about the importance of a special Anglo-American relationship, the United States and Great Britain coming together to face down totalitarianism. So Stalin is one person who's listening and taking umbrage. Uh, certainly the, all the political leadership, the political class in the United States and Great Britain is, is taken, shaken by the collar, I think is a good way to put it. I think uh, from the end of the Second World War until this moment here in uh, February of 1946, uh, 
there's a growing realization among the world leaders, especially in the United States, that the Soviet Union is has breaking, they're breaking every promise they made to the Democratic allies at Yalta in 1945 to allow democratic elections in Eastern Europe. Remember, Eastern Europe had been occupied by the Nazis. The Soviets supposedly liberated Eastern Europe, but the Soviet army never left. So a liberation became an enslavement uh, over those preceding months with with the communist parties taking control, not having free and fair democratic elections in Eastern Europe like Stalin had promised. So everyone now, I think, the political leadership, uh, our State Department, uh, on, on Great Britain's side, the, the Foreign Office, uh, they're all now put on notice that someone is calling out the Soviet Union. What everyone knows really has been happening. You finally have a world leader who's willing to say it and to say we have to stand against it. That phrase, Iron Curtain, is so, so powerful and has obviously just lived throughout history. No. What exactly did Churchill mean when he said an <laughs> Iron Curtain has descended across the continent? Let me read the quote, uh, Virginia, then, then uh, Niall, over to you. The quote that, uh, that has become so famous, that so captured what was happening uh, in Europe, in the political divisions of Europe. Here's the quote. A shadow has fallen upon the scenes so lately lighted by the Allied victory, he said, from Stettin in the Baltic to Trieste in the Adriatic, an iron curtain has descended across the continent. Niall, over to you. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Joe. And the, the Iron Curtain, of course, refers to the the divide between the the free world represented by the West and the totalitarian world represented by Soviet uh, communism. And this was the first time, of course, that the the term, the phrase, an Iron Curtain, had been uh, used with regard to the the present situation uh, in Europe. And Churchill's warning. Uh, was that this iron curtain that have, that was descending over over Europe would actually result in uh, tens of millions in Eastern and Central Europe losing their freedom. He said there was no room for complacency. The West must stand up to uh, Russia's attempts, basically, to deny the freedom of large numbers of people in Europe who... Many of them, of course, had been occupied previously by uh, the, the, uh, the Iron Fist of Nazi Germany. Soon, they would be occupied by the Iron Fist of the yeah. Soviet Union as well. Exactly. And yeah. so this was Churchill's, this was Churchill's warning. Uh, and it was the first time uh, that a leading Western politician had drawn the attention of the world to the immense threat ahead and the fact that so many... Europeans would very shortly be be living under a, a new totalitarian regime uh, that would cast uh, a dark shadow over much of Europe. Dr. Lacante, anything you would like to add? Well, uh, uh, Niall has captured it beautifully. Virginia, I think it's hard for us to conceive, and it would have been so difficult for the Americans and the Europeans who fought so hard for the liberation of Europe. Think about it the liberation of Europe from Nazi Germany, what really then happens, when, what Churchill is acknowledging is Eastern Europe has now exchanged one totalitarian system for another. That's the horrifying thing. That's the truth that no one wants to face. Yes, Western Europe is democratic, moving in a democratic and capitalist direction. It's going to be protected by the United States and Great Britain and NATO. But now Eastern Europe is going to be lost 
to Soviet communism. And that's the horrifying thing. You can hardly get your mind around six years of the bloodiest war the world has ever known. And you wind up with half the continent of Europe still enslaved. Wow. Such a sobering threat. Dr. Yeah. Gardner, uh, you you head Heritage Margaret Thatcher Center for Freedom, and you had the distinct honor and privilege of actually working with Lady Thatcher. How did Churchill's words in his speech paint such a clear picture of the importance of that alliance between Great Britain and America? Yes, that's an extremely important point, because not only uh, is the, the Fulton speech remembered, of course, for the Iron Curtain uh, warning, but also uh, the, the Fulton, Missouri speech is seen as the, the formal birthplace uh, of the, the term, the, the special relationship. And the special relationship, of course, uh, is in many respects still today the beating heart of the free world. It is the partnership, uh, the alliance, the friendship between the United States and Great Britain, the two leaders of the of the free world. Uh, and Churchill's speech uh, really uh, made the special relationship a, a household uh, term, basically. And Churchill spoke about the tremendous importance of the United States and Great Britain and the English-speaking world standing together as the vanguard of freedom, standing up to the forces of totalitarianism. Uh, and this speech is very, very significant because uh, it, it really is the, uh, I think, the, uh, the formation of um, the, the Anglo-American special relationship. Yes. Yes. Uh, and the special relationship at the end of the day has kept the free world Free. It was the special relationship that really defeated the might of the Soviet Empire, that brought down uh, the Berlin Wall. It formed the backbone of the NATO alliance, formed uh, just uh, just a few years later after Churchill's speech in 1946. Uh, and the Anglo-American special relationship today remains an immensely powerful force. It is the guardian of the free world. Uh, and as you mentioned, of course, uh, Margaret Thatcher uh, was a, a great believer in the Anglo-American special relationship. She was a huge admirer of Winston Churchill. Uh, and Margaret Thatcher has gone down in history alongside uh, uh, Churchill uh, as the, you know, as, as the greatest uh, leader of, of Britain in modern times. Uh, and Margaret Thatcher, uh, I think, in many, in many respects, followed in the footprints of Winston Churchill. Uh, and she took Churchill's words in Fulton, Missouri to her heart. Uh, and she made those words a centerpiece of her own leadership yes. as, as British Prime Minister. And so Margaret Thatcher and Winston Churchill together, really, two great leaders who advanced uh, the US-UK special relationship, two great leaders as well who saved the free world, two great leaders who uh, are the, the standard bearers for freedom in our time. And we owe both leaders an immense debt of, of gratitude. Hmm. Yes, and, and Virginia, if I could add to that briefly and Please. beautifully said, beautifully said, Niall, I, I can't improve on that. Uh, but I want to add uh, an element here about how 
courageous and visionary and in some ways revolutionary uh, Churchill's speech was in that regard in the American and British relationship, because he understands that the natural impulse of Americans is, okay, we won the war, let's go home. (laughs) Kind of like we did in the First World War, not engage in European affairs, we've got our own problems, an isolationist cocoon. And he is summoning the United States to take on a leadership role that many Americans do not want to take on. But he he has immense international prestige, of course, because of his leadership during the Second World War. And he's challenging the United States not to make the mistake it made after the First World War, to engage in the world against the Soviet Union, but to do that in in a special partnership with Great Britain. And no no statesman understood better the the cultural uh, sympathy that these two countries have for one another, their shared cultural, political, moral, and religious traditions. So the English Bill of Rights, the Magna Carta, English common law, and the Declaration of, of Independence for, for Winston Churchill, these were all the same piece. This was all the same story of freedom really being played out. And he saw that uh, alliance as absolutely essential to the defense of freedom in the world. Margaret Thatcher saw exactly the same thing, as did Ronald Reagan. And it seems to me there are lessons here for us in the here and now about the importance, the geostrategic importance of that relationship, our shared cultural and political values, um, and what we can accomplish together when we when we work together in defense of freedom. Well, and what are, if if you would, what are a couple of those lessons that we should take away today and keep in mind? Well, let me throw out a couple. I'll give Niall a chance to talk, to talk here as well. So now talking a bit too much here for us. But uh, um, I mean, and this comes out of Churchill's long political experience in life. The, the doctrine of appeasement, the doctrine of appeasement is the, is the, was the fatal flaw of both the Europeans and the Americans leading up to the Second World War in giving the totalitarian dictators what they want in the hopes of peace. Uh, famously with uh, Adolf Hitler in Munich in 1938. But this is, the, this is one of the key lessons that uh, Churchill and finally the Americans, we Americans learned, you cannot appease a dictatorship. You cannot appease a barbarian uh, uh, power. Uh, you have to meet it with force. Uh, peace through strength would be the Ronald Reagan equivalent of that. And I think every time we lose sight of that, every time we think that uh, sweet diplomacy Without, without the show of the potential use of force is going to be empty diplomacy and counterproductive. But over to you, Niall. Great points there, there Joe. And just to, to add to what you've said already, uh, I think that uh, above all, uh, Churchill's uh, Iron Curtain speech is a, is a warning against the, the perils of appeasement. Yeah. It is a call for the West to be strong, robust, and determined to stand up to uh, the forces of, of evil. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, with, with Winston Churchill, he saw things in very stark terms. I mean, he, you know, he believed that, uh, you know, if the free world did not stand up immediately to the forces of barbarism, to uh, the forces of totalitarianism, uh, then the free world itself would ultimately fall to... Uh, to the forces of totalitarianism. And so, uh, you know, so Churchill's speech here is, is a call for the West to, to have a backbone, to be strong, to have 
resolve in the face of our adversaries. And that's a message, of course, that was inherited later, decades later, by, by President Reagan, as you, as you mentioned, through his peace, through strength strategy. It was also a message that was uh, inherited by, uh, by Margaret Thatcher in 1976, when she delivered her Britain Awake speech as, uh, as leader of the opposition. And that speech was dubbed by, by, the, by the Russians, actually, as the, the Iron Lady speech. In fact, it was the Russians who, who first called Margaret Thatcher the, uh, the Iron Lady. Uh, and her speech in 1976 was a warning, a wake-up call to the free world uh, that uh, the Russians were on the march, that the Soviet Union had to be uh, uh, defeated in this great conflict between the free world and the forces of, yeah. of tyranny. Uh, and so uh, Churchill's uh, uh, Iron Curtain speech really is a forerunner to, to many of the great speeches that we saw several decades later by both Reagan and, and Thatcher. Uh, and he really laid the foundations for both, uh, for both Reagan and Thatcher, and of course also for the tremendous partnership between Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher that, yes. that really was uh, an incredibly powerful uh, a special relationship in the 1980s. That's exactly right, Niall. Let me add quickly, in terms of leadership lessons here, uh, there is that lesson, peace through strength. Uh, but then also, I think uh, Churchill embodied this in himself in a way that few leaders do today, I have to say, sadly. It's the willingness to tell hard truths to their own citizens, moral truth, political truth, unpleasant truths that could cost you an election. But you you speak truth into the situation because that's what your conscience and reason and your moral compass instructs you to do. He did that throughout his career. Uh, the Iron Curtain speech is another example of it. And of course, both Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher, who are such admirers of Churchill, they embody that same quality. Tell hard truths, necessary truths to your populations. Treat them like adults and, and call them to a noble cause and ask them to be willing to sacrifice for that cause. That's, that's Churchill's legacy, part of it, and certainly something that both Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher imbibed as they studied his life. Mm. If Churchill was alive today, what do you think would be his message to Great Britain, to America, and to the Western world? Dr. Lacante, we'll begin with you and then Dr. Gardner. Well, that's a terrific question, Virginia. It's a tough one to answer. What would be his message to the world today, to us particularly, to I think to the democratic leadership you know, uh, Churchill was not opposed to uh, international alliances, the need for democratic allies to work uh, uh, together, uh, a, a, a kind of community of democracies. He was not opposed to that at all. But I think he had this, this special insight into the importance of safeguarding and strengthening the, the British and American relationship. And I think he's, his message would be, we've got to take that more seriously because we have unique assets and strengths uh, that only that only our countries have to the degree that we have them. Uh, it, it doesn't mean that there there aren't other great contributions that other nations can make to the cause of freedom. Uh, we have to bring them along. But there is a special strength and a reserve and a history that both countries have and share that I think can can make a a, a difference for good on the world stage that no other combination of countries can make. The Great Britain and the United States. I think you would be emphasizing the relationship right now. Niall, what do you think? Great points there, there, Joe, uh, and I heartily agree with everything you said. Uh, I would, I would add that, uh, you know, Churchill's message today would be, as you said, firstly, it would be that the United States and Great Britain must lead on the world stage. There's no alternative right. to U.S. and British uh, leadership 
I think, secondly, Churchill's message uh, would be that we have to stand up to our adversaries. And uh, today, of course, uh, you know, you have to add China to the uh, to the list of of global adversaries that yes. uh, uh, that uh, Churchill had to uh, face so many decades ago. And today, uh, China is emerging as a as a huge threat to the free to the free world. And I'm in no doubt that if if Churchill were with us today, he would be calling upon the uh, the free world to to stand up to communist China, just as he called on the free world to stand up to Soviet uh, Russia. Uh, and so his message today would be one of resolve, strength. He would be urging uh, the the free the free world, the NATO nations, to invest more in defence. He would be urging the free world not to be complacent at all uh, in the face of tyrannical uh, regimes. Yes. Uh, and it's also my my view. I think that if Churchill were were alive today, uh, he would be celebrating the fact that Britain. Uh, is is no longer part of the European Union, uh, and uh, of course Margaret Thatcher, my former boss, was a big believer in Brexit, a big believer that Britain should be freed of the shackles of the EU. I'm in no doubt that Churchill, uh, were he alive today, would would share those those sentiments as well, because Britain is a far greater nation, a far stronger nation, a far more powerful force on the world stage outside of the European Union. And sovereignty, freedom, self-determination are so fundamentally important to the Margaret Thatcher worldview and also to the Churchill worldview as well. Excellent. Thank you both so much. Dr. Oconte, before I let you all go, um, I I do want to ask you about the book that you are writing. You're currently working on a book on Winston Churchill at the 1945 Yalta Conference. Could you just give us a a quick preview and let us know when when that book will be available for us? (laughs) Yes, when when will it be written, Virginia? Thank you. I'm in the process. (laughs) In all my free time as I work on this book, it's a tremendously fascinating topic to me because you have these three oversized personalities, Franklin Rose. Roosevelt, Winston Churchill, and Joseph Stalin representing different worldviews, if you will. Uh, Joseph Stalin, of course, he's a he's an atheist, a communist, but he's a he's a charming communist, and he knows exactly what he wants at Yalta, and he and he gets most of it. Franklin Roosevelt, a progressive, yes, he represents American liberal democracy, but he's also pretty naive, especially naive about Stalin and the Soviet Union. And then you have Winston Churchill. There's a kind of moral realism to Churchill, and maybe there's a sort of cultural Christianity as well. But there's definitely a moral realism to Churchill that I think Roosevelt lacks, and certainly Stalin lacks, and he brings that to the table. So these three clashing personalities in a, in a real struggle for what is the post-war world going to look like? And it's a messy story. It's a morally complex story. So I'm, I'm excited to get uh, to be in the, in the, in the midst of it in the documents, in the, in the personalities, and uh, stay tuned uh, for, a, for a book. Um, probably not this year, but I'm hoping next year. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, we look forward to reading that book when it does come out. We'll be sure to have you back on to discuss it, but right. hopefully a couple times again before that point. But gentlemen, thank you both so much for your wisdom and your insight on this topic. It's great to talk with you both today. Thanks. So it's much. a great pleasure. Thank, thank you very much. Virginia. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this bonus episode of the Daily Signal podcast. If you've not done so already, please take a few minutes to leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Your support makes such a difference. Have a great day, and we'll be back with you all on Monday.
The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Kate Trinko and Rachel Del Judas. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.